Interesting. So I think um, what we'll do is we'll, we'll move on. I've got a little video on peace that talks a bit about what we've just been talking about, that peace is more than, say, an absence of, of noise. Um, it is more than sitting still. So why don't we move on to that video? But Ken, thank you. It's been good to chat to you. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll maybe do this again with someone else uh, in the future. Uh, after that video, we're going to have another song and then Rowena is going to uh, read Psalm 4 to us. But let's watch this video first on peace. The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting, it also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom, and his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, My peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept 
of peace. Psalm 4. Answer me when I call to you, O God who declares me innocent. Free me from my troubles. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you people ruin my reputation? How long will you make groundless accusations? How long will you continue your lies? You can be sure of this. The Lord set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will answer when I call to him. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Think about it overnight and remain silent. Offer sacrifices in the right spirit and trust the Lord. Many people say, who will show us better times? Let your face smile on us, Lord. You have been given greater joy than those who have abundant harvests of grain and new wine. In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. Thank you, Rebecca and Rowena, for your help there. You know, it is difficult to find peace days these days, isn't it? It seems like an elusive commodity. I think it's true for a lot of people today that what peace we do seem to find is temporary. It's fleeting. During the lockdown restrictions, I think some of us have discovered that the things that we rely on, things which in the past have given us a great sense of security and have provided us some peace of mind are maybe not as reliable as we thought. Maybe we valued our routine, you know, the knowledge that we would get some headspace or time to complete tasks when the children went to school. Or your commute to work was exercise time, the only chance to catch that podcast, listen to some music, chill out on the bus. Perhaps we relied on our finances for our sense of security. But what if we're on furlough? Or we've lost our job? Or we're unsure if our company is going to survive this crisis in the long term? What else do we look to for our peace of mind? Perhaps in the past, what contributed to your peace of mind was your health. How often do we hear people say, as long as you have your health? But now, because you have that underlying health condition, which normally doesn't really bother you, you're well controlled. In these days of a pandemic, it has put you in a higher risk group. Maybe it's the lack of freedom to do certain activities, such as swim or go to the gym. That's put your sense of well-being at risk. Maybe it's simply your age. How fit and well you are is irrelevant just now. For many people, family is what provides their sense of security and gives them peace of mind. But in this present climate, even that is being challenged because we cannot spend time with our family members or we're spending too much time with some of them. And over these weeks, as we are released from lockdown, I'm fairly sure that some households are going to have differences of opinion about what those release of restrictions mean, creating a new source of tension and unrest because we all have our own thresholds of risk. So what can we do? It may be that some of us are desperately seeking for ways of escape, ways to escape from the situation in which we find ourselves. But maybe all we can get is that trip to the shops or a walk on our own. 
just that moment of silence. For others, perhaps the only remedy is going to sleep. Something just to get away from the echoing loneliness in our house or the thoughts in our heads. But here's the problem. We come back home. We come home and the turmoil is still there. We waken up and nothing in our situation has changed. No matter where we look for security and peace, be it through our money, our health, our family, our solitude, the peace that we find, it just isn't lasting. Over the past few weeks, we've been reading the Psalms. Rowena just read Psalm 4 for us. And we learn some valuable lessons from David in his search for peace. Often it's helpful to understand the context of the psalm, but Psalm 4 is more difficult. Now, I've read many translations and they all have slightly different nuance. And because of that, there are differences of opinion about the background of this psalm. But there are two main suggestions. Either David was the victim of a campaign of slander or there was a drought in the land. But in some ways, you know, the specifics don't matter, do they? Because the underlying issues are the same. David is in a situation which has long-term consequences. He has no real way of influencing the outcome of that situation. And the people around him, well, they don't inspire confidence in him that God has the ability to turn things around. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? So what is David's response? He calls out to God in prayer. Verse 1 says, My faithful God, answer me when I call out to you. Give me rest from my trouble. Have mercy on me. Hear my prayer. David calls God faithful. That is, he is dependable. David is aware that God has helped him in the past and he is confident he is sure that God will do the same again, so he will not panic. Have mercy on me. This is an appeal to the loving kindness of God. Asking God for mercy is really pleading with him not to give us what we or our present predicament deserves. Lord, don't let this trouble turn out the way it could. For example, in our current situation, there are some theories that man-made air pollution is increasing the likelihood of more severe illness. So when we call for mercy, we're asking God to protect our society. Protect our society in this present situation from decisions that we have made in our past. Hear my prayer. David is asking God not just to listen to him, but to bring his wisdom and his presence into the midst of the trouble he finds himself in. David believes that God's presence comes through prayer and that God's intervention is then able to change a challenging situation. God is trustworthy, he is loving, and he is able to do something no matter what our situation. But do you and I, do we really believe that? Because let's be honest, sometimes the answer is, not really. Or sometimes the answer is, well, well, yes, but. The people in 
verses 2 uh, and 3 that David addresses are not convinced that they even need the God of the Bible. They seem to mock David's dependence on God. Perhaps their view is that praying is a sign of weakness or foolish nonsense. And notice what David says to them. How long will you people turn my glory into shame? Maybe you have people around you saying the same to you and making you feel that way. Or again, David calls out the people because they are relying on a different basis for their confidence. He says to them, how long will you love what will certainly fail you? How long will you pray to statues of gods? David had proved through his own personal experience what he had learned from the Bible, that our God is big enough for any situation because he is powerful and because he cares so much about us as individuals. He'd learned that that was true. Now, you and I, we may not be praying to statues of God, but what do we depend upon to bring us relief during a time of global crisis? Is it maybe ourselves? Is it our own resources? Is it my own abilities? You know, if we just pull ourselves together, if we dig deep, we can get through this. Or if I read all the right information to keep myself safe, if I get healthier, if I, if I, the list goes on. Maybe what we rely on is scientific endeavour. We're all hoping our researchers can arrive rapidly at a good solution for the coronavirus pandemic. We're pinning our hopes on them. But maybe what we're pinning our hopes on is the state. That our leaders and government and policymakers, will they make the right decisions? And that the measures that they are proposing to bring us out of lockdown are going to provide the safety net that we all need. To be honest, we could go on and on. There are many options. And it's right to acknowledge that some of these things have enormous value and they should be celebrated. But here's the thing. Solutions are helpful, but they don't always bring the peace that we're longing for. Peace can be difficult to find and it can be difficult to keep. And despite our longing for it, it can feel incomplete. It fades so quickly. In the video we watched earlier, the peace described is a complete peace. It's not just an absence of trouble. It is a sense of wholeness. Ah, this is what I want. I want to feel whole. I want to feel complete. But so often, I don't quite achieve it. But then David points out that it's not from us or from our efforts that we can experience this kind of peace. Listen to what he says in verse 6. Lord, many are asking, who will make us successful? Lord, may you do good things for us. Fill my heart with joy. In peace, I will lie down and sleep. Lord, you alone keep me safe. David's response to the people and to his own problems was to acknowledge God as his source of peace and joy and goodness. When your back is against the wall and there is nowhere to turn, God can still do good things in your life. And God can fill your heart with joy. It is God who keeps us safe and secure. And it's this knowledge which can give us peace. 
when we call out to him in our times of desperation, this is a gift from him. But how did David arrive at this level of confidence where he could say, no matter what the circumstances, in peace, I will lie down and sleep? I mean, was he just someone who had a special kind of relationship with God? I mean, none of us are quite like David, so perhaps a fleeting experience of peace is the best we can hope for. Not so. The Bible describes Jesus as the Prince of Peace. Jesus, who came down from heaven to teach us how we can live as God desires. Jesus, who came to demonstrate love for each one of us, especially at the cross. Well, Jesus also promises this to his disciples. He says, I leave my peace with you. I give my peace to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Well, clearly this peace is a gift. It's something we can receive only from Jesus. How do we get this peace then? David gives us some insight into how we're able to receive the peace of God. Verse 3 says, Remember that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call out to him. Tremble and do not sin. When you are in bed, look deep down inside yourself and be silent. Offer to the Lord sacrifices that godly people offer. Trust in him. David, despite the fact he was a king, regarded himself as a servant of God. David had submitted himself to God's authority. He pondered the word of God in the Bible. David spent time in the presence of God, praying, singing praises to him. That's why we have so many psalms written by him. And he listened to God. And the result was he acted, although not always, in line with God's will, as his servant. And this is why he could have such confidence in the God to whom he prays. And here's the challenge. Am I willing to submit myself to God? Am I willing to offer up to God my hopes, my dreams, my plans, so they line up? with God's will? Am I willing to spend time learning more about God, praising him as my king and listening for him to speak to me? This is the starting point for our relationship with God. God is not impersonal, distant, remote. David refers to him in verse one as my God. You can't get more personal than that. David lived long before Jesus, God's son, came to earth to die for us. The result of Jesus' sacrifice at the cross is that all barriers were broken. If we're willing, trusting our lives to Jesus means that God lives within us. We call him the Holy Spirit. Jesus describes his role like this. He, the Holy Spirit, will teach you all things. He will remind you of everything I have said to you. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truths. 
For those of us who follow God, we need to remind ourselves often of the resource we have been given by God. When we submitted our lives to him, the Holy Spirit became that resource. Don't forget your position as children of God. We already have peace with God through Jesus. And the work of the Holy Spirit within us promises ongoing peace. Remember what Paul said about the work of the Holy Spirit in his letter to the Galatians, but the fruit of the Spirit is peace. David reminds us all that we need to examine our hearts. Perhaps we need to stop going through life without clear direction or purpose. Perhaps we need to develop an attitude of openness to God. Perhaps we need to review our dependence on ourselves and recognise we are servants of God and what that means for us in our everyday lives. Maybe we just need to be silent before God to simply stop talking. Have you responded to God's invitation to trust in Jesus as your saviour? It's only then that you will know peace with God, peace with yourself and peace with the world. Only then can you develop the kind of relationship with God that leads to confidence and peace such as David expresses in his psalm. The kind of relationship where you can trust in God even when circumstances suggest otherwise. I'm not talking about the peace that the world gives. An absence of trouble is what it promises, but it often cannot deliver. God does not promise a trouble-free life. But what he does offer is his love, his strength, his peace, his protection, and so much more if we're willing to turn to him and receive it. Will you do that today? Let us pray. Father, we all have times when we long for peace and we cannot find it. Father, thank you for your peace, which is able to sustain us through all our trials and troubles. May we learn to turn to you for the peace of heart, for the peace of mind, for peace with others that we need in our lives today. I pray those that don't know you, Father, will come to know you and that their lives could be enriched as a result of their submission to you. May we, as your servants, bring peace to our homes and our communities as you bring peace to our hearts. Amen. Before we move to the final psalm that we're going to sing together, which is Great is Your Faithfulness, we're going to have a few minutes where we can reflect on our relationship with God and the gifts of peace and security that he offers us. Let us take this time to pause in his presence and hear what he has to say to us. God bless.